how many of you have a mobile phone? Anyone? Anyone at all? Um, as I was working on the sermon this week, the thought occurred to me, can you imagine if the Apostle Paul had had a mobile phone? I mean, how many contacts would Paul have had? How many calls and text messages would he have been sending to his wide circle of associates and friends? It would have been really extensive. Of course, Paul didn't have a phone, but he did use the next best technology that was available at the time, and that was writing letters. And after establishing churches during his missionary journeys, he continued to oversee those congregations, either by visiting them or by writing letters or by doing both. And in most of the letters of Paul, they're divided into two sections. The first part of the letter deals with doctrine or theology, and then the second half tends to deal with practical problems facing that particular church. And Paul, just so you know, dictated his letters to somebody else who actually did the writing. Now, to me, if you look in your Bible at the arrangement of Paul's letters in the New Testament, I think the choice to arrange them the way they did was unfortunate. I'm just being honest. They didn't ask me. I just think it's unfortunate. Because they're arranged from the longest letter, Romans, to the shortest, Philemon. But I think, and see what you think about this, wouldn't it be more interesting and more revealing about the development of Paul's thought if they were arranged as best we can determine from the earliest letter he wrote to the last letter that he wrote over that period, because then you'd see the development of his thinking over the 12 to 15 years during which the letters that were preserved were written. So the first letter Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica was primarily about how Christians are to live in the present day while anticipating the second coming of Christ and the end of the age. A few years later, during his third missionary journey, Paul sent four of his most important letters to the churches at Galatia, Corinth, and Rome. And these deal with several topics like the fruit of the Spirit and spiritual gifts, but mostly with what Paul calls the way of salvation. And then several years later, while under house arrest in Rome, Paul wrote letters to the Christians in Ephesus, Colossae, and Philippi, dealing with the person and work of Jesus and how we're to follow his example in all that we say and do. And at this time, he also wrote a brief personal letter to Philemon. Now, Paul's letter to Philemon, it's the last of his letters as they're presented in the New Testament. The whole letter is only 25 verses in English from the 335 words in the Greek original. So Philemon is the shortest of Paul's writing. And the letter is addressed to specific persons. And it's a letter of mediation, seeking to foster reconciliation between two individuals who are both connected to Paul and both see him as their spiritual mentor and leader, as their father in the faith. Philemon is a slave owner, and Onesimus is an enslaved person who fled Philemon's household, but who, after time with Paul, is now returning, wishing to have a new and different type of relationship. So the letter to Philemon is Paul's plea for a renewed relationship 
between the two, but one on better terms than before because of their now mutual faith in Jesus Christ. And so the letter is about the difference that the transforming power of the gospel can make in the lives and relationships of believers to bring about reconciliation and forgiveness, regardless of class or any other distinctions or divisions or barriers between people. So listen to Paul's letter to Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank my God because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith toward the Lord Jesus. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my dear brother. For this reason, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty, yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. And I, Paul, do this as an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, am appealing to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, that is my own heart, back to you. And wanted to keep, I wanted to keep him with me so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your good deed might be voluntary and not something forced. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a while so that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. I say nothing about you owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I am writing to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. One more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping through your prayers to be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. 
Have you ever received an arm-twisting letter before in your life? When I read this letter, it's, this, this is a letter that is seeking to exert influence in a significant way. Oh, my. One of the great themes that runs through the Bible is the theme of reconciliation. From the beginning in Genesis, God is seeking to be reconciled with people and trying to help people be reconciled with each other. From the very first man and woman and their sons, Cain and Abel, who were the first murderer and the first murder victim. To the story of Jacob and Esau, whose relationship was marked by deception and suspicion and estrangement. To the story of Joseph and his 11 brothers who beat him and sold him into slavery in Egypt. The book of Genesis is filled with stories of broken relationships and the need for forgiveness and reconciliation. And that's because this is the story of the human race. It's an endless need from the very beginning for forgiveness and reconciliation. Jesus taught about the importance of seeking reconciliation, whether you've wronged someone else or someone else has wronged you, as Ramsey read for us from Matthew chapter 5. The Apostle Paul wrote repeatedly how Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection, how through these God had reconciled us and made us a new people with a new purpose to be God's ambassadors of reconciliation. But forgiveness and reconciliation are never easy because they're only required when something has gone terribly wrong, when something's been broken. And so they can be difficult and they can be costly. But is it more costly to forgive or in failing to forgive? Which really hurts more in the long run? Because if history and current events teach us anything, they teach us that an inability to forgive and rather even seeking revenge, it never produces a positive result or outcome. I mean, think about your own life. And can you think of a time, you know, I didn't forgive that person and I'm so glad I didn't. Things went so much better because I, I took revenge on them rather than forgiving them. Do you have a long list of successes that way? I'm guessing most of us don't. And there's no escaping the painful truth that there can be no reconciliation unless both parties want it and are willing to do the demanding work that forgiveness and reconciliation requires. And that's oftentimes the most painful part of all. When you want to forgive, when you want to work towards reconciliation and the other person just won't do it. Whether it's a marriage or another family or close friendship, whether it's in a church or work or school, it's always painful when one person desires forgiveness and to work for reconciliation and the other person is unwilling to do that challenging work to make things better. And we just have to acknowledge that. And many of you have lived that. It's painful. Because forgiveness and reconciliation requires and demands something from everyone who's involved. In Paul's letter to Philemon, each of the parties involved was called to do something difficult. Paul must deprive himself of Onesimus' 
company and service. Onesimus had to return to his master owner after running away and face an uncertain future. Philemon was being asked to forgive Onesimus and to see a former enslaved person as a beloved brother in Christ. Each of them has to do something difficult as a Christian would do it. As a Christian would do it. So let's start with Paul. Paul has to deprive himself of Onesimus' company and service to send him back. And we know from his letter that Paul is an older man. He's near the end of his life. He's likely under house arrest, which enabled him to provide refuge to Onesimus, who fled the household of his master Philemon. And Paul refers to Onesimus as my dear child, my child whose father I have become during my imprisonment which indicates Paul was the primary person in helping Onesimus to become a Christian. And Paul always took great joy in being able to lead someone into a life-transforming relationship with Christ. And clearly he's done that, and he's been blessed to have the benefit and the usefulness, he says, of Onesimus' presence. And what we miss in English is that in Greek, this is a play on words, because the name Onesimus in Greek means useful or beneficial. That's his name. And so Paul is appealing to Philemon as a friend, as a fellow Christian, as a brother in Christ, to take Onesimus back without penalty, without prejudice, in view of his new relationship in Christ, who is their common master. Like Paul, it can be hard for you and for me to deprive ourselves of people who matter to us or of things that we enjoy or like and value so that reconciliation may take place. We may have to give something up. But like love or being part of a larger community, reconciliation often involves our need to give something up, our need to sacrifice something that we find valuable, comfortable, or meaningful to us in order for a relationship to be what it should be. Sometimes it means giving up the need to be right. Talk about something some of us find very useful or beneficial. But I'm right. Okay. But is that more important than a relationship that's healthy? If you have a relationship right now in your life where reconciliation or forgiveness is needed, I want you to ask yourself this question. What is my Onesimus? And by that I mean, what is it that I find useful or beneficial that I may need to release and let go of for reconciliation to be possible? And as I said, for some of us, it's just the need to be right. Or even for some of us, the need to have the high moral ground because I was the one who was wrong. So I'm going to stay up here and keep reminding you that you were the one who did wrong. We may need to let that go. The second key person in the letter is Onesimus, who Paul instructs to return to his master after running away. Now, in his letter to the Colossians, Paul writes, chapter 4, verse 1, Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, for you know that you also have a master in heaven. And then Paul refers to Onesimus, who's traveling with Tychicus, to the Colossian church. And in Colossians 4, verses 7 through 9, it says, 
Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant or slave in the Lord. Keep going if you got another slide. And I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Guess who he's coming with? He's coming with Onesimus, the faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you about everything here. So Paul has come to see Onesimus by this point as a faithful and beloved brother. He's part of the Colossian church. But he knows that Onesimus, as a Christian, must take the difficult task of returning to Philemon. Now, we don't know what Onesimus did. We don't know, for example, whether he took something to help finance his escape or if he simply stole himself away to freedom. But whatever it was, he needed to return. And again, this can be difficult to do, to humble yourself before somebody else and to contritely and truly say, I was wrong. I was wrong. I hurt you. I'm sorry. I want to make things right. Onesimus has become a faithful, beloved, trusted companion of Paul, and it must have been excruciating for Onesimus to risk giving up his new life where he was treated with respect, he was given responsibility, to risk returning to his master for an uncertain fate. When you think you can't take a step towards reconciliation with someone, think about this. Since fugitive slaves at that time were subject to severe penalty, usually burning the legs or arms with hot iron or even branding the forehead. So everyone knew for the rest of your life that you had been a fugitive slave. You can see, can you see why this step of rec reconciliation was risky for Onesimus? For you, part of reconciliation is having the courage to risk returning to the one we have hurt or wronged and asking for forgiveness. And if you've ever been in that place where you know you've done something, you know you've hurt another person, and you just struggle, right, to get up the courage to come forward and to say, I blew it. I'm sorry. You can relate to how Onesimus must have been feeling about leaving what he was doing to go back. The third person in the letter is Philemon. Philemon was a man who was converted to Christianity. Um, well, again, as you can see on the screen, Philemon had to forgive Onesimus and see a former slave as a beloved brother in Christ. And Philemon was led to Christianity by Paul, probably at Ephesus. He's associated with Paul's mission. Paul describes him as our beloved fellow worker. And since he was able to host a congregation in his home and had the ability to prepare a guest room for Paul, it's very likely that Philemon was a man of significant financial means. He was a successful person financially. And Paul notes that Philemon was recognized as a person of faith and a person of love toward Christ and the church. And he has the challenging task of forgiving the one who wronged him. But not only that, this letter is read to the entire church that meets in his house. And so Paul is lovingly putting significant pressure on Philemon. 
And he asked, but doesn't command, him to forgive Onesimus and to charge any financial loss to Paul's account. <laughs> like he's going to do that, right? And to receive Onesimus back, not as a slave, but now as a beloved brother in Christ. Can you imagine? I tried to think, well, what would this look like today? Can you imagine if on the cover of the church beacon? I listed or talked about the people in the church who needed to be reconciled. And, you know, this person needs to forgive her brother. This person needs to forgive. The, and I named names on the front of the beacon. What do you think? Should I do it? I'm guessing there might be a couple people who might not appreciate that level of directness. Yet that's exactly what Paul is doing. To Philemon. He's letting the whole church know what he wants Philemon to do. And everyone's hearing it. So everybody's going to know whether Philemon responded as Paul wanted or not. It's interesting to me to think about, and I want you to think about this, who do you think has the most difficult task? Paul, who must deprive himself of Onesimus' company and service, which he clearly enjoyed and appreciated and valued. Onesimus, having to return to his master owner after running away. Or Philemon, who had to forgive Onesimus and see this former enslaved person as a beloved brother in Christ. Perhaps our answer depends on who we relate to in this story. And let's not forget Aphia, Philemon's wife, who is also named by Paul at the beginning of the letter because she would be significantly impacted by, does Onesimus come back and become a part of their household again? How does her husband feel about all this? And what's his response? And you know, when it comes to reconciliation and forgiveness, the circle of people who are influenced is often wider than we may realize. Than we may, isn't it? It often involves more people than we may think. Reconciliation is not easy. Forgiveness is not easy. An older man was walking on a beach and he found a magic lamp and he picked it up and a genie appeared. And the genie said, because you have freed me, I will grant you a wish. And the man thought for a moment, and then he said, well, my brother and I had a fight 30 years ago. And he hasn't spoken to me since. I wish he would finally forgive me. And there was a loud clap of thunder, and the genie declared, your wish has been granted. And then the genie said, you know, most people would have asked for wealth or fame or power, but you only wanted the forgiveness and love of your brother. Is that because you're old and dying? And the man said, no. But my brother is, and he's worth about 60 million. <laughs> Reconciliation and forgiveness are things that benefit us, but our motivation should be slightly better than that of the man in that story. And how much of the current pain heartache, violence, hatred, destruction, and waste of human life and material resources in our nation and in our world is due to people 
who are unable to sacrifice, to be reconciled, to forgive. On a personal and national level, how important are the ability to give up something that's important or beneficial or valuable to us, our Onesimus, if you will, to reach out to those we have hurt or who have hurt us. How important is the willingness and the ability to forgive? And if you want to know how costly it is, we're going to participate in that in just a few moments because it costs God the life of his very son. We should expect it will cost us something. The ability to forgive in the spirit of Christ, not in anger, not in bitterness, not in resentment. It brings tremendous benefit to you and to other people. And it would bring healing to our land in so many ways. The inability or unwillingness to do these things as a Christian leads to broken relationships, broken marriages, broken families, broken churches, broken communities. It leads to bad or no communication, to violence and to bloodshed. We see it every single day. I want to close with this thought. Our appreciation of the Apostle Paul, I think, would be poorer if we didn't have this briefest little letter that expresses so simply and with such dignity the value and the importance of reconciliation and forgiveness. And we're grateful that Philemon forgave Onesimus and welcomed him back as a beloved brother into his household and into the church. How do I know this happened? Because there's no way they would have preserved this letter if it didn't. Right? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would heal our selfishness and our pride and deliver us from vain conceit and even the need to be right or to have the moral high ground. God, enable us to see all we still have in common with someone with whom we may disagree. And by your grace, help us dare to travel the road to reconciliation and forgiveness, always being open to the promptings of your Holy Spirit to consider the ways you are calling us to change, to be transformed and renewed in our thinking, speaking, and acting so that day by day and week by week, our life may more fully reflect the love, mercy, compassion, and grace of Christ our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.